Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with stocks. So here's Paul and Silas and presumably several other of the early Christian leaders and uh, Christ followers who were, as was their custom, going up to a, a prayer gathering. And as they're on this way, this account in Acts 16 tells us that this girl who was possessed by a spirit that allowed her to presumably tell the future comes across Paul and Silas. And she shouts out this phrase, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, nothing overly offensive. In fact, what she says is true. Paul and Silas are proclaiming the gospel and telling them the way to be saved. But did you notice in the text that it says she followed them and kept this up in verse 18 for many days? Have you ever been on a long road trip with small children? Right? You, you know, are we there? It's that repetitive over and over and over until you're finally like, I don't even care if we ever get there. We'll turn around and go home just to get you to stop asking me, right? For days, this girl keeps saying, these men are servants of the most, for days on end. And, and I love, by the way, Paul's response. Verse 18, finally, Paul became so annoyed. One of us, right? <laughs> And Paul gets to this moment where he's like, I can't take it. And he turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. And this girl is freed from this oppressive spirit. And the great thing is she now has her freedom. The problem is she'd been forced into slavery by these people who were making a lot of money off of her. And now they've lost their source of income. And so they decide to get revenge on Paul and Silas. And so they take them and they bring them into the marketplace in front of the magistrates. And they say, well, these men are, are, are Jewish people who were telling us uh, to do things that are unlawful for Roman rule and practice. Now, that's not entirely true. There wasn't anything that they were doing that was breaking Roman law. Uh, and so it's kind of a trumped up charge against them. And, and so the magistrates have them stripped and beaten with rods. And it says after they were not just flogged, it says after they were severely flogged, they were thrown in prison. And so here's Paul and Silas, half naked. You have to imagine after being not just flogged, severely flogged, their back, likely open wounds, sitting in a dark and dirty prison. And, and the question is, how, how would you respond in that moment? Well, if you're, if you're in that response, put, put yourself in their shoes. How might you respond? I'll tell you for me, I don't respond well in moments that are half that uh, hard, right? In hard moments, it's easy for me to uh, make accusations against God. Where are you? Why aren't you doing something? I just don't do hard situations. Well, I, I can focus on the negative. It's hard to, to, to be joyful in those moments. 
And so I'm intrigued as you continue reading this account in Acts chapter 16, I'm intrigued at Paul and Silas and their response. Let, let me read the next verse, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, if you continue reading, after this, there's an earthquake and the doors come open and, and God miraculously brings them to freedom. What I find so fascinating is that Paul and Silas are praising and singing hymns before they're set free. They've been stripped, they've been beaten with rods, and it, and it says they were severely flogged. They're in prison with their feet in stocks. They can't even be comfortable and rest. Uh, they can't you know, lay on their stomach so their back can get some air. They're, they're in this place of intense suffering, and their response was to praise and sing hymns. I, I don't do half as well in circumstances that are a quarter as bad. How about you? Like, I, I remember... We had multiple kids in diapers at a time, which is its own kind of purgatory if you've been there, right? And I remember getting the kids ready one morning and, and I'm doing a diaper change and I watch my other toddler fall down the wooden steps, right? And now I've got this dilemma. Do I leave the diaper and do I save the other one? And I think it's only five steps. She'll be all right. <laughs> because if you come back to it and it was one of those mornings where I'm frazzled and then on the way at the door, I catch my belt loop on the door. Have you ever done that? It like instantly filled me with rage, right? And I'm sitting in the car. I, I wasn't praising and singing hymns, right? I was like, Lord, why me? Why give me the toughest battles? And it's like, Aaron, it's a dirty diaper and your belt loop, right? Not that hard. And, and yet here's Paul and Silas. They're in prison, severely flogged, and they're praising and singing hymns, right? And so he, he, here's the big idea, church. Praise brings perspective, and it's so easy, if you're anything like me, it's so easy to lose perspective. And so praise, rejoicing in what God has done, responding with gratitude to who God is and what he's done, it has a way of reorienting our perspective. So I, I want to walk through this this morning, and let me begin with a definition of what praise is. Because my concern is, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you're, in your mind, praise is sort of the preamble to the preaching of the word. You know, we do a couple songs and then we get to the preaching and then there's maybe a song. Praise is so much more than just what happens at the beginning. It is the response of God's people to the goodness and the greatness of God. So let me begin with this definition. Praise is an expression of worship that rejoices in and exalts with gratitude God's character and God's faithfulness. Let me say that again. Praise is a, an expression of worship that rejoices in and exalts with gratitude God's character and his faithfulness. And so it is vitally important that we understand the beauty and the depth of what praise is and how it has a way of reorienting our perspective. So as we walk through this, I want to look at Psalm chapter 30. And this is a moment where David is bringing articles to the temple to have them dedicated as part of the, the construction of the temple. And in this moment, David just begins praising God and he has a lot to teach us about what praise looks like. Psalm 30, verse one. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and you did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. 
To the Lord I called, to the Lord I cried for mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Lord, hear Lord and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothe me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. So one of the first things I think that David teaches us about praise is that first and foremost, praise is a declaration. And praise is first a declaration of God's character. It declares, Lord, this is who you are. And so David says in uh, Psalm chapter 30, verse four and five, he says, sing the praises of the Lord, praise his holy name. And so David acknowledges, God, you are holy. And what this means, right, is God is not like us. He is pure and holy and righteous where we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God is pure and, and righteous and holy, set apart from us. David continues, he says, his anger lasts only a moment, right? He is a God who is quick to forgive. He is a God who is merciful. He says his favor lasts a lifetime. This is a God who is gracious towards his people. And the reason church praising God and this declaration of God's character is so important is because when we hit hard moments, when you hit hard circumstances, I think one of the first things we question is God's character. When we hit a truly hard moment in life, we question, God, are you good? Are you present? Do you care? And so in, in praise, when we respond to God with a declaration of who scripture declares him to be, it is a reminder of the truth of God in the middle of hard circumstances. And that keeps us rooted in understanding that God is gracious and merciful and for his people, that he is good as the scriptures declare him to be. Secondly, though, praise is a declaration of God's faithfulness. When, when we praise God, we, we go back and we remember, Lord, here's what you've done in my life. The Psalms as a whole, the book of Psalms, is basically the praise and worship book of the ancient people of Israel. And so if you want to watch, how did Israel respond to God in praise? Read the Psalms. And what you'll find is over and over again in their praise moments, the people of Israel go back to this place of remembering God's faithfulness, of remembering all the ways that God came through for them, remembering all the ways that God provided for them. And, and David does this in Psalm 30. Look at verse one. He says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. You did not let my enemies gloat over me. And so there's this moment where David, as a king, he says, I remember this moment. We were in battle, and yet, Lord, you brought victory. You didn't let my enemies win. He goes, I remember this moment where I was in the pit. This is a place of, uh, of David's life being challenged. This is a place of struggle. And he says, yet, Lord, you lifted me up. And it's this moment where David celebrates God's faithfulness, right? Likewise, in verse 3, he says, you, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. And here's again, a moment where David is facing this challenge that looks like it's going to be the end of his life. And he goes, Lord, I remember when you provided, I remember when you spared my life. And so over and over again, praise is this reminder. It's a declaration of who God is, his character, and it's a declaration of God's faithfulness. And again, church, this is so fundamentally important because in hard moments, one of the first things we question is not God's, not just God's character, but also God's faithfulness. Lord, are you here? And when we praise God for who he is and what he's done, it's a reminder that the God who is faithful before is the God who will be faithful again right now and into the future. So praise is first and foremost a declaration. But secondly, praise reminds us of our place. Praise reminds us that he is God and we are not. And I think we need this reminder because, again, when we hit hard moments in life, our tendency is to try to take control. 
I'm going to call the shots in my own life. I'm not sure that I can trust God because of where he's brought me in a difficult season. So I'm going to try to take control. But praise reminds us, I'm not God. I'm not sovereign. Praise reminds me that he is Lord, that he is sovereign, and I need to trust him, who scripture declares him to be, and I need to trust his faithfulness. So again, David declares that God is holy and sovereign, right? That he is set apart, that he is God and I am not. Likewise, in Psalm 95, let let me read this account where David, again, in another place of praise, acknowledges who God is. He says, for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Do do you see how praise and worship, it recentered us recognizing I am not in control of my own life. God is sovereign. He holds all things into his hand. I need to surrender my life to the one whom scripture declares is the king above all kings, the God above all gods. He is holy and sovereign. He is faithful. He can be trusted. And so in this way, praise reminds us that not only is he God and I'm not, not only does it remind me of my place, praise, praise reminds us that God is greater than our circumstances whether good or bad, that God is greater than our circumstances. If he is the God who formed the dry land in his hands, if he is the God who holds the depths of the sea in his hand, he is the God who likewise holds my circumstances in his hands. And if he is a holy and faithful God, as scripture declares him to be, and I believe that he is, I have to trust that God is greater than the circumstances that I'm in, no matter how insurmountable they might seem. And again, in Psalm 30, David declares this reality. Psalm 30, verse 11, David says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. And so in verse 11, David describes this place where he's in a place of mourning. He's in a place of grief. Sackcloth is an image of brokenness and mourning. Occasionally it's a a symbol of repentance. He says, you turned my wailing. Wailing is a place where David is, is crushed. He's defeated. And yet he says, right in that place, in the place where I was in wailing, where I was in mourning, where I was in grief, he says, you brought dancing. In the place where I was in sackcloth, where I was in grief, where I was in a place of mourning, you clothed me with joy. And over and over again, what David remembers is that God is greater than his circumstances. And when we praise God, it has a way of bringing our perspective back to this place of recognizing that he is God, that he is faithful, and that he holds all of my circumstances in his hand, that he is greater than anything we might be facing. And I don't know about you, church, but I need that reminder all the time. I need that perspective shift constantly. And so what would this look like if in the ins and outs of our week, we had moments where we paused and just praised God for who he is and what he's done. If we just paused and praised God for his provision and his power and his protection and his faithfulness. And so again, church, in this way, praise provides proper perspective. Focusing us again on God's character and on his faithfulness right in the middle of hard things. And, and it's so easy for me to get distracted and, and look at all of the things that aren't going well. And we need this constant, consistent reminder of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And, and not only that, church, not only does praise reorient our perspective, but when you break it all down, praise is the proper response of God's people. 
When, when we recognize the truth of who God is and when we celebrate his faithfulness, when we remember how God has come through for us time and time again, how else can we respond but with praise? When you really look at who God is and when you really look at his faithfulness and his character and his provision for his people, how else can we respond but with a deep place of praise and gratitude and worship because of what God has done for us and because of who he is for us? I love how uh, Paul says this in Philippians chapter four. In Philippians chapter four, Paul is uh, writing a letter to an early church in a Roman colony of Philippi. And by the way, when Paul writes this letter, he's in prison. So keep that in mind that, that Paul is writing from prison. Philippians 4.4, 4, he writes to the early church and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And in rejoicing, he says, always. He doesn't say, just rejoice when things are going well, when you, when you really see God's faith. No, he says, rejoice always. For, for Paul, this, this is not a negotiable. Paul goes, no matter, church, what you're facing, no matter what you're coming up against, rejoice. And, and for Paul, this is so fundamentally important that he repeats himself. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. And anytime you see repetition in scripture, it's because it's something really important. It's something that the writer of that passage wants you to take hold of. And so Paul, as he writes to the early church, he says, you cannot lose hold of this sight that we need to be a people whose fundamental response is to rejoice always, regardless of circumstances. And rejoicing has a way of changing our perspective, right? And, and notice what David again says in Psalm verse 30. He celebrates God's provision. He celebrates God's faithfulness. In verse 11, he says, you turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth. You clothe me with joy. So in verse 12, he says, that my heart may sing your praises. Right? David goes, you've done all of this for me, that my heart can sing your praises and not be silent. He says, Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Right? David comes back to this place of saying, the only way that I can respond is for my heart to sing the praises of God. Rejoice always, Paul says. J.I. Packer, a scholar and theologian, he says this. He says, if our God asks all the earth to sing his praises, who are we to refuse? I love that. And here's the thing. As praise brings perfect perspective, what I've found in my own life is that praise cultivates a profound sense of gratitude for who God is and what he's done. And praise again is this expression of worship where we're rejoicing, finding joy in, and expressing out loud our gratitude to the God who is faithful and holy, to the God who is over and over again provided for his people. And, and again, I love how Paul says this in the New Testament. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Paul says this, rejoice always. This is Paul again, right? Again, there's that reminder to another church this time. Rejoice always, pray continually, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, all circumstances. And notice what he says at the end of that, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I, I would say as a pastor, one of, one of the most common conversations I have is this question of, pastor, how do I find God's will for my life? I, I don't know his specific will for that exact moment. You can pray and you can see God's face, but I can tell you part of God's will for his people is that we rejoice always, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. Paul says, this is God's will for his people. This is what God wants for his people. That we are rooted in prayer, that we are rooted in gratitude, that we are rejoicing, that we are responding over and over again with praise. 
Likewise, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul again writing to another church, he says this in Colossians 2, 6. He says, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue your lives in him rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This is to be the disposition of God's people that we're so thankful that it's just overflowing. And what you'll find is not only does praise and gratitude change your own perspective, but as it overflows out of your life, it begins to transform your family. It begins to transform your workplace as as gratitude just flows out of you. This is the primary disposition of the people of God. And by the way, I used to let myself off the hook a little bit with this one. But I can't get around the fact that a lack of gratitude is a sinful disposition because thankfulness is a command, not a suggestion. And so praise with gratitude is the proper and right response of the people of God. I love C.S. Lewis. He, uh, in his book, Reflections on the Psalm, he, he makes this observation. Lewis observed that cranks, misfits, and malcontents praise least. While the humblest and at the same time, the most balanced and capacious minds praise most. In other words, he says, the smartest and the most humble and the most well-adjusted people I know live live lives saturated in praise. Meanwhile, Lewis says, the cranky people, the people who are are malcontent, they're, they're just grumpy all the time. He goes, I find that they tend to be the ones who praise the least. And as I read that quote this week, I stepped back and I thought, Lord, how is my disposition? And, and how does, what does my disposition say about my praise? Where I find myself being discontent, being cranky, maybe it's a praise problem. That I've lost perspective and I need to come back to this place of declaring who God is, declaring his faithfulness, and being rooted in a place of gratitude no matter what I'm facing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of of your word. And I thank you for Paul and Silas and their example of responding in praise to a really hard situation. That even after they'd been flogged and mistreated, they, they sing hymns and they're praying. And I noticed, Father, in that passage that it says, and the other prisoners were listening. And I wonder how often our response of praise becomes a demonstration to other people about the goodness of our God, about the character of who you are. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people of gratitude, that we would be a people of praise, who when we look at who you are, who scripture declares you to be, when we look at your faithfulness, we go, what else can I do but respond with praise and gratitude? And may it be said of us, as Paul says of, of, of other churches, that we rejoice always. May we take that to heart, Lord that we would be a people who have a proper perspective rooted, Lord, in your praise. Father, we love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.